Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You know, Deacon David and I don't really coordinate our sermons very much. Sometimes we talk about it. I'll say, hey, what are you preaching on? Just to make sure. Um, he's not good doing anything too bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, exactly. But last week, uh, which is traditionally known as St. As Thomas Sunday, um, he, our, our prayer book shortens the, the gospel reading, so it actually cuts out the story of St. Thomas. And as Deacon David explained last week, the reason for that is that St. Thomas has his own feast day. And that feast day is December 21st, and that is the gospel for his feast day. Um, and so Deacon David, at the beginning of his sermon, read the whole Thomas account and gave us a really wonderful excursus on doubting Thomas. And I'm sure you all remember the story. The disciples had an encounter with the risen Jesus while Thomas was absent. When the other ten apostles tried to tell Thomas about this experience, he refused to believe it until he was able to see the risen Lord and his wounds with his own eyes. And so, a few days later, Jesus appeared to them all again, including Thomas, and allowed Thomas to see those nail-pierced hands and the, the wound in his side from the spear. And I've always loved this story. I've loved the, the way that our Lord deals with Thomas. I think maybe because I tend to be, uh, I tend, I've gone through seasons where I have gravitated towards Thomas's problem of, of having these doubts. But what I've always loved about the story is the way that our Lord goes after Thomas. You know, the 10 apostles are there. Thomas is the one who's missing and our Lord comes and gives Thomas exactly what he needs in order to join, rejoin the ranks of the apostles. In fact, I think that Doubting Thomas Sunday is a great prelude for this Sunday, Good Shepherd Sunday. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a trilogy of parables and the trilogy culminates with perhaps one of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells, the story of the prodigal son. You know, the man loses one of his sons who eventually comes back and is restored to the family. That story is preceded by another parable where a woman has 10 coins, probably from a dowry or of some sort, and she loses one. And so she tears her whole house apart trying to find this missing coin. The parable that introduces the trilogy, however, is the, a parable about a shepherd. And the shepherd has, not, has 100 sheep, and one of them is missing. So what does he do? He writes the missing sheep off as a, as a loss for his taxes. I'm just kidding. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. He goes after the one and he finds the one that's missing. And there's great rejoicing when he finds the one that's missing. And I think that the way that Jesus handles the Thomas situation is, a, is an illustration of this parable. Thomas is the one. He's gotten away. And Jesus goes after him, leaving the 12. He doesn't leave the 12, but metaphorically speaking, leaving the 12. So what's interesting to note is that there's this imagery throughout Scripture of Jesus as the good shepherd. But often when we talk about Jesus as the good shepherd, we're inverting what we normally think a shepherd should be. In fact, it's interesting because the reason that the Scriptures present Jesus as the good shepherd is because he is the Lamb of God. He's the lamb, and so therefore he can be the shepherd. And our collect draws on this sheep and shepherd imagery, right? We thanked God for his only son, who is for us both a sacrifice for sin, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, 
and also an example, and sample, which means example, of godly life. Now, in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. And what does he say is the mark of a good shepherd? The answer is he who lays down his life for his sheep. He who lays down his life for his sheep. Now, this statement only makes sense in God's economy, not in the world's economy. I mean, can you imagine a dog walker trying to sell you on this point? Let me walk your dogs. I'll even give up my own life. I'll die before I let your dog die. I wouldn't even do that for my own dog. (laughs) That would be kind of a bizarre selling point, wouldn't it? Now, in the ancient world, it's true, shepherding was more dangerous than being a dog walker is today. You were exposed to the elements. You were exposed to potentially predatory animals, bears and wolves. You were also potentially exposed to thieves. But I don't think that it was an expectation for most shepherds that they would go to their deaths willingly on behalf of their sheep. You know, maybe they got killed by, a, by, an, by an event that occurred. You know, it's too cold or, or an animal or something. But they wouldn't necessarily die on behalf of the sheep. But yet that's exactly what Jesus tells us his relationship is to us, his flock. Jesus is the good shepherd because he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He's not the hired hand. He doesn't run away at the first sign of trouble. He's invested in us to the point that he will give up himself for us. And we know that he's good. We know this is true precisely because of the events we just celebrated during Holy Week, especially the events of Good Friday, where he was crucified for us. What's even more confounding is not just that he's a shepherd who will protect us even with his own life, but also that he is a sheep. The shepherd identifies with the sheep, not by standing at a distance from us, quite the opposite. He becomes one of the sheep. He becomes human. He takes on a human nature. Does this make economic sense for a shepherding entrepreneur? I don't think so. And that's the beauty of it. It doesn't make sense according to the world's way of thinking. Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. That's not an economic calculus that makes sense. He is the shepherd, but he's also the Passover lamb. In our collect this morning, we prayed for Jesus to be our example. We asked that we would be enabled to daily endeavor ourselves to follow the blessed steps of his most holy life. It's in his willingness to become one of the sheep that the shepherd is the example for us. This is what 1 Peter 2, our epistle reading this morning, is getting at when it says he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. One chapter earlier, 1 Peter 1, Peter calls Jesus the lamb who is without spot or blemish, And in the passage that we read this morning, it's pretty clear he's drawing on Isaiah 53 imagery of the suffering servant who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And so in this way, Jesus becomes a model for us. And I think we have to caveat when we talk about Jesus being a model, 
we're not just talking about something that we look at. We're not talking about an, an image that is external to us. Rather, Jesus gives us a model that we, we can learn from, but we learn from it by becoming part of it, part of him, part of the divine life that he shares with the Father. And he gives us, he imparts this model to us in three ways. The first is in the sacraments themselves. In Romans 6, when we're baptized, Paul tells us that we're baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. In other words, each and every person here who's baptized was baptized into the story. You became a participant in the story of Jesus. Well, what happens when we receive communion? Well, during the service, the sacrifice of Christ that he made on Calvary is being presented before the Father on our behalf. And then we come forward and we receive that sacrifice, the benefits of that sacrifice, but it doesn't just end there. You're not just a consumer when you come forward to receive communion because the goal is for you to leave yourself on the altar. You're a living sacrifice. You present yourself in return for what God has done for you. Of course, we're aware this self-sacrifice could never be what his is, but we are informed by it. In other words, we are what we eat. We are what we eat. Another way that we're trained by, to, be our, to become like our shepherd is through the liturgy, specifically through the church calendar. The church calendar, which we've been observing recently with, with a number of big events like Holy Week and Easter, is primarily structured around the life of Christ and his work, right? Advent and Christmas, we, we meditated on the incarnation and his birth. At Epiphany, we meditated on the visit of the, of the wise men and his presentation at the temple. During Lent, we thought about and we, we exemplified his 40 days in the wilderness where he fasted and was tempted. On Holy Week, we focused on his betrayal by his own friend and how he went to, all the way to the cross for us. And on Easter, we celebrated his resurrection. And before we know it, we'll be observing his ascension and Trinity Sunday and Pentecost Sunday as well. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know we walk this same cycle year after year after year, the same events on replay over and over and over again because it's worth doing. We continually hold the Christ story up as a mirror to ourselves. And each year, hopefully, you find yourself in a different place than the last year. How does the story of Christ speak to you now? And you put in enough years, and eventually it's very different. You know, how the Christ story speaks to me now is very different than how it spoke to me in 2014. It's also why the designers of our church calendar include not only the life of Christ, but also so many feast days for saints. Not only is God glorified in his saints, as St. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians, but these saints are important didactic tools who teach us what it looks like to live a Christ-like life in a variety of historical contexts, circumstances, and vocations. So sacraments and liturgy are really two ways to get us further down the road of holiness, but the point is that all of these have implications in our day-to-day lives, in our own vocations, in our own circumstances. We begin to be like our shepherd and bishop, when we act like him in our day-to-day lives, when we have a vibrant relationship 
with him that's characterized by constant prayer, when we begin to acquire the virtues that he possessed, and most importantly, I think, when we begin to see him in each and every person with whom we come in contact with. And so the collect and the readings for Good Shepherd Sunday leave us with, I think, two important takeaways. The first is that we should have a great faith in our Lord and Savior, in our Good Shepherd, in our Bishop, Jesus Christ. Do you know where else in the Book of Common Prayer this imagery of Christ as the shepherd is really emphasized and used? This is interesting to me. Page 335 of the Book of Common Prayer, which is the conclusion of the funeral rite. This is one of the concluding prayers at the graveside. Basically, that prayer takes the reading from 1 Peter this morning and turns it into a prayer. And the point, I think, in doing that is that all of us should have confidence living and dying in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd and bishop of our souls. This is really what we've been observing this whole Easter season. Christ has been raised. He's defeated Satan and sin and death. The good shepherd has driven away those predators trying to snatch us from his flock. And so as sheep, when we grow up, we hope to be like our shepherd. And we do that sacramentally. We do that by remembering our baptisms. That's why we keep holy water by the door. It's why people dip their fingers and cross themselves. They're remembering their baptism. It's why we receive the Eucharist week after week after week, and we engage in this drama, this liturgy that surrounds it. We do it by observing our church calendar, structured around the work of our Lord, his earthly minister, ministry, and, and how he worked in and through the lives of his saints. And we do it in an ethical way, by becoming what we behold, by becoming what we eat. And so to close, I just wanted to read Psalm 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.